Hi again, everyone. This is Tim. First, thanks for the download. Just a reminder, all our podcasts are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud, along with RadioMVP.com. You can interact with us on RadioMVP.com, and you can also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings and reviews we get on Apple Podcasts, the more people can find us on that format. We'd be greatly appreciated if you take the time and give us a rating and review. Today on One on One, we'll be speaking with Eric Ungaro. Eric Ungaro is seeking the Democratic nomination for state rep for the 59th District in the state of Ohio. Eric Ungaro has been endorsed by the Mahoning County Democratic Party, the 224 Democratic Club, the Austintown Democratic Club, the Youngstown Warren Black Caucus, the UAW, the AFL-CIO, and the FOP-193. Today's conversation will get into why Eric decided to run for state rep and what motivates him. So sit back and enjoy this conversation as we go one-on-one with Eric Ongaro, who is seeking the state rep for the 59th district in the state of Ohio. Hi again, everyone. Hey, thanks for the download. This is Tim, and welcome to another part of our one-on-one series. And today, my special guest is Eric Ungaro, who is a Democrat running in the primaries for the 59th district in the House of for Ohio. What's going on, Timmy? How you doing? Good. Hey, we're used to usually talking football, but this will be a little bit of mixture, I guess. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Those who, of course, listen to our sports podcast with Anthony and I, and and sometimes our good friend Matt Ems uh, jumps in too. Those who uh, have had opportunity to listen to that, I hope you uh, go back and find some of those. Otherwise, uh, just enjoy our conversation today because it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, get to know about Eric and his uh, campaign. Well, first of all, let's start here. Just tell me about you and where you are today and how how you've kind of got to the decision to run. All right. uh, Again, first of all, thank you. I know we've been talking about this for months, so this isn't something that just popped up. And I always appreciate the work you guys do. Uh, I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, Attended Urson High School. My dad was mayor for 14 years uh, during some pretty rough times. Uh, Being the oldest son, I had to you know, I had to endure a lot of that, things that were going on, you know, obviously with the mills closed, with with the unemployment rate, uh, obviously the, you know, the mafia was in full, you know, full form then. And and then you get even into the later 80s with the whole crack epidemic and the murder, the murder rate that went skyrocket and a lot of judges and prosecutors went to jail. Uh, I started coaching at a young age, 1990. I started at South High School, uh, then South High School closed and I went to Wilson High School. I started teaching behaviorally challenged kids during that time in the city. So I was in the city during the time with, with again, you know, the gang epidemics and the crack cocaine and the, the, the violence. And, you know, I, I witnessed that firsthand with a lot of those kids losing parents and you know, even some of them going down the wrong roads. Uh, so that's just that that was just a little bit of, of emotional part that I went through during that time. Got married, moved to Poland in 2000, ran for. Uh, Poland trustee in 2012 was fortunate enough to win and a lot of people didn't say I could win because I was an outsider I was from Youngstown and, and Poland was you know they, they at least they said on paper that was a pretty tight-knit group and, and you know we won we, we worked hard we walked to a lot of houses uh, been there for six plus years and then the reality of all this is is that there was an open seat you know this isn't like anybody owns this seat right now and being a teacher and a coach for years 
And even during that time in, in 2012, I lost a brother to an over, uh, opiate overdose. And we'll kind of go down that road once I talk about the issues a little bit. But I said to myself, hey, this is something that's worth exploring. I'm an OEA union rep. I was down in Columbus. I was listening to all the candidates for governor speaking. And they all hit on the same two, two uh, issues, the state of public education and the opiate epidemic. And I said to myself, you know, there's not many people that really have some real-life experiences with, with, with those issues like myself and actually feeling them and touching them and, and being involved with them on a daily basis. So I decided to run, you know, just started walking door-to-door early, been putting a lot of work in, and, I, you know, I just feel pretty comfortable in what I bring to the table. You know, win or lose, I'm going to wake up the next day and feel good about the campaign I ran and the issues that I deal with. So things that they look for in leadership is the ability to really communicate their message. And one of the things I think that brings that out in you is is you've been working with kids with coaching and as a teacher and in special ed. Take a moment and just talk about that type of thing and what it takes to do both that uh, work with a kid who's athletic or just someone wants to play the game and get better at it. You know, a student who uh, maybe has some behavioral issues and some short-term thought processes and he gets confused or she gets confused and how you deal with all that i think one thing that's beautiful is that i i started coaching first and i think in life and in in education be it with the special ed kid in class or in a self-contained class or an inclusion class you're coaching them man you know it's still that attitude it's getting the best out of them it's it's getting them to want to learn it's getting them to understand things the same way if it's you know maurice claret or doug daddish uh, getting them to become better. That old saying, trust you, reach your full potential. I mean, I live by that every day when I'm dealing with these kids and just trying to get good kids better and, and kids that might just be floundering a little bit to move on. So I try to keep it pretty simple and keep it even on both sides, regardless if you're a superstar or, like you're saying, a kid who's struggling with some short-term things. It's all coaching techniques. You know, you got to just try to modify some things for them in the classroom, help them out a little bit, help them with their notes, maybe eliminate an answer for them on a multiple choice. Uh, The same way you might have to drive a a superstar, like, you know, we've been very fortunate to have at Howland and in the city for years. So I do, I try to keep it an even playing field, treat everybody with respect, and just try to coach them up, try to get their attitude good. And I just believe in the end of the day, like hope and a good attitude will drive any kid regardless if they you know come from no parents struggling uh to guys that you know have everything going for them and are athletically gifted so i do i I do try to keep the same simple message and and really just modify it as we go you know one of the things we talked in private before about and things i like i'm i'm huge about education i think it's just one of the most fundamental things that as a community we all have to deal with it uh, doesn't matter if you have a child in the school system or you don't, or if they're going to a private or a charter school. And there's a lot of you know areas that we could talk about mm-hmm. all that. But more than anything, uh, I think what we have seen in the last 25 years, and you have experienced this, is the lack of really leadership at the state level on special education and funding of special education and giving the schools the opportunity to really give these students that opportunity to succeed and move on and become productive people in in our society. And I think it's the greater picture of just the funding in general because obviously the first thing that gets cuts are what? The reading tutors, the reading aids, you know, the laptops that would go into those special ed classes. So it's, it's almost like a... 
it's that area that gets hit first right after athletics. Oh, you're going to pay to play. You know, we're going to get rid of an assistant coach on the football field. And you're right. All it does is make it extremely harder going back to coaching that kid up because you're losing some resources. You're losing in those extra avenues. Like, hey, third period, go down and see Miss So-and-so, and she'll help you with your work because that tutor's not there anymore because they had to eliminate her or him for you know whatever funding reasons. But I think, you know, in, in the defense of a lot of people on the state, there's not many. Th- this would be almost cutting edge because I would be an actual teacher right now. I, w- I would keep my job, go down to a part-time status that was fortunate enough to win. Most teachers don't. You know, aren't involved with politics. They don't have a chance to win a state house race because they're working all day. So, you know, th- this is presenting a pretty good opportunity for the state of Ohio and for the 59th district and really our area to actually send a teacher down there who is a union member, who is a special ed teacher, who has that compassion for those classrooms and understanding what needs to be done in there. Uh, so I'm excited about that. You know, I feel pretty upbeat about that. And I, you know, I beat that message wherever I go. You know, I know there's uh, two things, two styles, basically, of special education. One is inclusion, and one I used to call it uh, pull them out of this mm-hmm. classroom and teach them one-on-one. Talk about those two things and maybe the success rate of both or how individualized it needs to be. Well, I think, A, there's a good mix right now, at least where I'm at in Howland. But we've... we've grown into that because there's you're talking about like a self-contained class where there's like six or seven kids in there and they're learning you know world history from just me but then there's a class that might have 15 special needs kids where i'm in there with them helping them and i think you were saying like your sister does that out in western reserve where the regular teachers actually teaching it i might modify their work help them out a little bit kind of guide them a little bit on their note-taking, making sure they're doing their thing. I think one thing that I've realized through the years is some of the kids that are in self-contained need pushed a little bit. They need to go into that inclusion class. And then there are some kids that are in the inclusion class that might be pulled back out and brought into that self-contained room with just me personally. So we have a good mix. I know you were saying uh, your sister might be experiencing something where it's all inclusion. I right. think you definitely need a you, you need both to kind of juggle because you every kid's different you know every kid reaches their full potential in some different avenue uh, and we've done a good way of of feeling it and teaching it but you know what else here you talk about funding the reason why they do all inclusion is because of funding and then now the problem is with all this test taking which most people don't even understand. We have to teach to a test all day. So it's hard for me to just grab Joe and put my arm around him and talk to him about life or how his mother's strung out laying on a couch because everybody in the whole school district is so worried about them passing the test so they throw them in an inclusion class. So it's a big, it's a combination. It, it, it's a unique web, yeah. and, and I think I could present that you know, to the legislator in a real-time, actual, real-life type issue. Yeah, you know, one thing about teaching to a test, and I've talked to many different teachers over the last few years, and uh, one of the things that they say, and this is absolutely blows my mind away, is, you know, the state scheduled these tests throughout the year at the different locations, so, you know, whatever school district they may be in. Some of them are as early as February for the year. So they're cramming the entire year in to get it, the test taken in February for these kids to pass it. That just seems so unrealistic and not even completely thought out and, and, and makes absolutely no sense to me when you have a nine-month school year and, and you try to cram in an entire year in the first five months. 
And just think what's going on after they take the test. And they know it's an end-of-year exam. You don't think they shut down? Exactly. March, April, May? I, I think, and see, I'm almost to the conspiracy theorist part. I'm opposite of you. I believe it was well thought out. It was a way to make teachers and school systems fail. Uh, a little bit to hold them more accountable. It, it was a way to give teachers a black eye. They beat up the unions a little bit. Get inner fighting amongst teachers because now teachers are scrambling. They're worried about what's their test scores. What's their And the thing is, in the last five years, we've probably had three different tests. Like the state doesn't need. Now, that's where I don't think they're very thought out. You know, we went from an OGT to a park test to an air test. I mean, every every three years, we're coming up with a new set of standards. It's almost criminal. It's, it's really putting, it's almost making teaching now like you're teaching with your hands tied behind your back. I just don't, you know. Yeah, I just, again, it's, I don't it's, think it's nuts. Fair. It drives me crazy, and I'm not even in the education mm-hmm. field. Uh, I deal with teachers in a sense when I, you know, run into a coach like yeah. yourself. Or others, and we'll just talk about their day and what's going on and what they may be dealing with, you know, outside, you know, the coaching. Because let's be honest, coaching is a great profession. It's a part-time profession for most of these guys. It's a passion for most of these guys who do it. They love the game. I don't care what game it is. Mm-hmm. If it's softball for girls or if it's football for the guys or basketball, it doesn't matter. It's a passion for the for the teacher. And 99% of the coaches are teachers. And that's and I think sometimes we forget that. It's easy for me to know because I'm involved in high school sports yep. and I know this and I've talked to them and I have for the last 25 years. Oh, they, well, they do go hand in hand. Because the reality of it is you don't go into coaching or teaching to get rich. You know, and I, I know for some ungodly reason, you know, they beat up teachers because you got some health care and you got like, a, a, you know, a decent retirement. Uh, but, you know, you, my first job was 17 grand. I mean, you right. know, you go work just about anywhere making that. So you like you goes back to what you said. You have to love it. You got to love the coach. You got to love being around kids and seeing them grow. But somewhere along the road, it got a little bumpy because now it's harder to put your arm around these kids and, and love them up and talk about their family, making sure they go down the right road into college or a trade school because the whole system is just scrambling over test taking. Oh my God, we're going to look bad. We're going to get you know one star on the on the exam. Our school district is going to lose funding. The people are going to be mad. They're going to send their kids open enrollment somewhere else. So it's a again, it's a big web. It's a big web and. You know, if I'm fortunate enough in May, hopefully I could articulate again some real, you know, some real time data. As you mentioned that you are a union member and been involved in unions for the last 28 years. Yep. And one of the things that's going on in the state level, oh. and there's so many things going on right yeah. now, but one of them right now is this right for work yep. uh, issue. And anybody who understands what right to work is, it's, it's the worst phrase in life when it comes to, to uh, negotiation basically mm-hmm. is it's me trying to negotiate the best deal possible f- as a union person for everyone involved and then you would have somebody on the sideline who doesn't want to pay the dues and be involved taking all the benefits that the union is negotiating and that's the fair share it more so just the fair share of the janice bill that's in or the court case that's going on and you're right but again it's orchestrated. It's breaking the teachers' union. They, they, they're, they're figuring to themselves, okay, if we could just get a couple people that are disgruntled to pull out of the union, because let's face it, a union is only as strong as its numbers. Correct. Uh, so if you can start splintering that up and fracturing that up, it's a well-calculated cal- design because, you know, SB5 didn't, didn't pass. It got, it got beat up pretty good. So now they're going another avenue. 
Let, let's go with this fair share. Where you don't have to bring pay your fair share. Forget that eight hundred dollars you pay your union every year. You can pull out and still get the same benefits. I mean, it's going to cause a lot of controversy and a lot of problems. And definitely, if I'm fortunate enough to win in May and in November and get down there, I would definitely be you know a strong voice for the unions and and obviously against uh, legislation like that. You know, when you're talking about the teachers union and, you know, for myself, uh, you know, just as an observer, again, what happened in West Virginia was very, very intriguing and very exciting and on a lot of levels because, you know, that's like one big school district, my understanding. So the entire state went out and talking about numbers, they were able to then have that. Yeah, they shut down the schools for almost two weeks. But in the end, they got the raise that they deserve. They were able to, you know, secure some of the benefits that they deserve. And, you know, you're talking about a state that has not given raises in years. There's there are. You know, districts in the state of Ohio that haven't given raise in five, ten years, or first raise in, in many years to teachers. Oh uh, yeah, it's. I mean, again, I mean, obviously, you don't go in it to get rich, but Correct, you but do you want wanna... you do want your steps, you want your cost of living, you want your. That's I mean, what I was just, just, say. just fundamental things. It's not like, hey, look, we want another twenty grand today. No, you just want you want to just get your increments and be able to keep providing for your family and be a productive part of of the community. And you're right. That's where the point we're at right now is just at the OEA convention. I'm a delegate down there, and that's all we are preaching is we have to stand strong together. And the teachers union is a very, very powerful voice in the state of Ohio. So the stronger we stand together, like you're saying, the more results I think they can get done. Yeah, the Uh, public unions, you know, uh, either for those who work for the state of Ohio or in the teachers union and the fire department, mm-hmm. the police department, police. all those, uh, they're, they're so important to each Ugh. community. And these, these are the people who really are the backbones of a community, in my opinion, and always, always have been. And you have to support these people. I mean, it's just it's the foundation it's more of America. Than, yeah, it is the foundation of America. It's a great way to put it. Yep. As we move forward, just looking at other things as we're talking about uh, real quickly, I know uh, this is kind of personal to you, mm-hmm. but uh, we have a huge opiate endemic here in the state of Ohio. Talk about why that motivates you. Well, I think, all right, let's just start back to growing up as a kid on the north side. I had two uncles that were, say, the 60s and 70s addicts. Uh, they both overdosed. Uh, then again, you, we, we fast forward to when I was coaching in the inner city. I had to, I, I was dealing every day with, with kids that were... Uh, Crips, their bloods, they're selling crack. Their 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 parents are on crack, and, and that whole epidemic, and seeing people die right there. And then probably around 1992, I had a you know my brother who I, I was as close to him as any human being on the planet. He he had a hernia surgery, got prescribed some oxys, and you know it just it was that whole cycle, that whole generation there. They, they were habit-forming, not addictive. You know, so doctors wrote him a little more freely. Uh, you know, he was working at General Motors at the time, so he was able to kind of feed his habit with, with the, you know, a well-paying job. But then eventually, when, those, when, you got, when you're chewing pills and partying with pills that were created for people that are dying of cancer, can't win. You know, you, you can't right. win. So ultimately, in the end, he, he, he overdosed. Uh, he passed away in 2012, and at that time right there, and I probably went into my own funk. I, I, you know, I, I very easily could, right now, just be an alcoholic. It, it, <laughs> if I had it my way, it just your way of numbing your depression. Because people talk, you know, they feel bad for parents and things like that. But, you know, brothers are, are, are is, close, it's man. It's a special bond. It's a I special bond. Yeah. And especially when, you know, you just have one brother. 
So I went through my own trials. You know, I thought I was going to be Kojak. I was going to find who set him up, who killed him. But then I was putting my family's life in danger. And thank God I got involved with some ladies early on that we created Solace of the Valley, which was the first real family organization that stepped out and said, hey, look, it's okay. We had a great function at Leo's out in in Howland. We invited all the police chiefs, superintendents, and it was the first time that you saw, you know, family members stand up and say, hey, look, it's okay to start talking about this. Because you go back four or five years, nobody was still talking about it. They were junkies. They were pieces of crap. Oh, they make their choice. Let them. But, you know, a lot of people were struggling with it. They were struggling with it. And then I eventually got put on the mental health and recovery board where we, we we merged the mental health side with the recovery side. I'm the treasurer for that. So that was a great thing for our community because, again, going back in time, oh, we can't merge these two. We'll never pass a levy. You know, they'll, they'll pass a levy for disabled people or, or, or behaviorally challenged you, but not, not people that are addicts. Well, you know, we did it. We passed the levy overwhelmingly uh, just by us out there speaking our minds and, and, and giving people confidence. So that that's kind of where I'm at, and definitely when I go down that road, and if I'm, again, if I'm fortunate enough to win this, it's going to be a real life passionate voice. It's not going to be based on business uh, or, or or bills. It's going to be based on what I think is best for families, and I, I'm going to be very adamant about it uh, to to really do whatever I can for you know just everybody who's dealing with, with with that pain. And your passion, just in general for life, is is fun. You're, 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 I can see the coach in you, and I'll be honest, you're motivating, and that's that's a great thing, and I, I honestly believe that's part of uh, anybody's good charm, in a sense, is to be able to communicate a message and be able to articulate what they wanted to say. Unlike myself, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, nah, you do a heck of a job. Come on, man. But it's, Tam- easy, when down expectations it's, it's easy when you're talking about things, though, that matter. Yeah, it is. You know what I mean? And you've lived, and you understand, and you feel, and you touch. And, I mean, trauma's real. Death is real. I Like, I don't have to, like, try to create that fuzzy, warmy type situation. Now, you know, hey, there's going to be a lot of things that go on in the state that I might have to research. You know, I've never been a farmer. You know, I've never... I mean, so, right. you know, just... It just so happens that the two major issues in the state of Ohio, I'm passionate for, but I've also been doing them my whole life. You know, life. I, speaking of, you know, issues that face the state of Ohio and other, you know, parts is something I just found out about. And I had an opportunity to talk to uh, Shauna Roberts, who's running for the U.S. House of Representative in the 6th District. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about some of the rural areas in, in the state of Ohio and Believe it or not, as much as we do this podcast and everyone that listens to it, you know, downloaded over the internet, there are parts in Ohio that don't have broadband. Absolutely. And it's shocking in 2018 because how do you survive? And she goes, well, we use phone data. And how expensive is phone data? You, you get beat up. I, and that's what I'm saying. There, there right. are issues out there. But I know what? In, those, in that district, the state of education and the opiate crisis are still one and two. Exactly. You yeah. know, so that's where I feel pretty good that I'm going into it with a good base. I'll learn from there. I'll research from there. You have people at your fingertips. I'll go speak with people. I'll go talk to people. I'll go to Sebring West Branch. I've been out there talking to them about some of their issues. Uh, and and you know what? At the end of the day, education opium is still one two, and then everybody else has maybe three or four. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I, re- I really am looking forward to it. 
All right, let's get into a little football here. All right, let's go. Let's talk about the high school football season. Just your this past year, obviously, uh, you're working with Holland. Talented team this year. They came just up a little short of the playoffs just by percentage points, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talk about uh, this area in football and how it you know interacts and how communities love it. Well, I mean, it, it, it's number one. I mean, it's king. I mean, that's no disrespect to the wrestling coaches or baseball. I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, I think the one thing that we're struggling with that even, you know, from a political standpoint, our area is struggling with is numbers are down. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, just you say for how an exam, example, 10, 12 years ago, you know, we had 60, 70 kids on a team. You know, now you got 40. But then you go around the area, maybe Canfield was up a little bit. Uh you know, Poland had decent numbers, but I think as you see going forward, those numbers are going to decline a little bit too. So, you know, what does that mean to most football teams? You know, your reps in practice, you, you going against a scout team, you know, it isn't as, it isn't as a quality of a scout team as you did before. You know, now before you had, you know, five studs, now you got two. Uh, and you, I always say this when college coaches come here. You look at your Catholic schools and your big high schools, and it'll tell you how your area is overall. You know, you went to like Harding. I think maybe they had one kid go D1. You know, Urs and Mooney. You look at those areas, and, and it kind of is a microcosm of what's going on us. What, what's nice to see, though, you see teams like South Range and West Branch and McDonald. You know, they're still kicking butt, and their own, uh, Kennedy's doing a good job. So I think those are the things that we're struggling with. Yeah, I think what seen in the last 20 years is what you said the numbers are down it's just the we're used to the big the big boys you know the austin towns the borbans the moonies right. the urslands they're not as big as schools as they were 20 years ago number wise and i think the competition for the or the student to play is a lot more they got a lot more options that they didn't have years ago before you played football you played basketball you played baseball you train truck you you were a wrestler those were the main things if you were you know a student in in high school today you got golf you got rifle team you have you know you have volleyball you have so many other sports and they all run in the same school year so they overlap and you can't necessarily do them all and and so you throw that in with a declining population you're right it all kind of just takes little bits and pieces off of a kid if you got Uh, a great soccer player who happens to be a terrific athlete well, he's not going to be playing football. He may have been a defensive back or a wide receiver because of his speed and his agility. He's on the soccer field, on the pitch, you know, doing his thing, which is nothing wrong with that. But it just shows you that you can't do everything. Well, and I think, too, let's say what it is. Parents today and, you know, AAUs and travel teams. So now before that great athlete that was a great baseball player, that played football. You know what he's doing? He's going to pitching camps all year. The soccer guy. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and kick. But, you know, we've had good success at Howland, though, getting those kids out because they all got full rides for football. I mean, it's hard to get a soccer ride. Exactly. Uh, but <laughs> as you're saying, basketball, it's year-round. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's year-round. I go to AAU the, dominates nowadays. Dominates. And those kids would rather run up and down the court, playing hoops year-round, than going out getting your head cracked in on a football field. Uh, so it's a, again, it's a combination how of all much, three of those things. How much concern do you have, or how much concerns have you seen over concussions and at the high school level? Because a lot of people talk about it. I haven't seen many 
coaches actually say, oh, yeah, we do have more now than we had before. I don't think that's the case, but there seems to be a higher level of concern than it used to be. I think it's on high alert, obviously. you know, you got to go through a lot more protocols now and, th- and, and things like that, but I don't think it's any more or less than ever before. If anything, I would say it's on the decline because coaches are now, I mean, we always coach, you know, head up when you're tackling and things like that. I know the Seahawks came out with some different tackling styles, but people are a lot more conscious about it now than they were. I mean, even when I was playing, I mean, they were just like right, right in there and, you know, yeah, take on the guy, man. Just yeah, exactly. didn't matter how you did it. Now, you know, get they're the kid on the ground. Exactly. Te- techniques better. And, and obviously the, the helmets are a lot better. We've done a lot of good things with the helmets. Uh, so, I would say same to even a little bit less. So it's not as big as a like, oh, you know, there, there's a there's a concussion uh, epidemic going on. We're talking with Eric Ongaro, who's running for the 59th district for Ohio State rep. And Eric, take a moment and just tell me some of the uh, organizations that have uh, backed you and uh, endorsed you. Well, you know what? I've been fortunate. I, mean, I worked hard to get the Democrat Party endorsement, Mahoney County Democrat Party endorsement, the 224 Democratic Club. We, we, we got their endorsement as well, the Austintown Democrat Club. So we got the three major Dem, uh, Democrat Party-type clubs. Then we were fortunate to get UAW, AFL-CIO. We got the FOP-193, the Youngstown Warren Black Caucus. Uh, so we, we, we've been fortunate and through a lot of hard work and just just putting out our message on what we stand for you know i, I thank god and, and, and i'm grateful that you know these organizations have backed me and i'm just going to keep working until the end one last thing take a moment and just sum up your reason for running and why you are looking for those are out there to support you come the primary on may 8th because i just believe in my heart that the two major issues in the state of Ohio, the state of public education and the opiate epidemic, there's not very many people that have an opportunity to win an election that are going to have the passion that, that I could bring down there and really the, the real heart, heartfelt concern for you know the families and the teachers and the students that are grueling over this every day. Uh, I believe that. And any other issue that comes up, I will always just keep the families in mind. The, the people of our, our community in mind and just move forward and make a decision based on that. All right, we're going to have some fun now. All right, some ra- rapid-fire questions. Uh, One-sentence an- one answers, one-word answers, whatever works. Favorite TV show? Man, I really don't watch. I, I hate to say it, I don't watch. I, I mean, I'm being honest with you. That's fine. That, that's I mean, an answer. I mean, I'm telling you that Like, I, I don't sit down and get excited to watch anything on TV other than sports. So ESPN, there. There you go. All right. Favorite movie? Ooh, I'm going to go with Gladiator. And favorite actor or actress? Well, I'm a Halle Berry guy. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an easy one. Favorite sport? Football. And why? I, just because I grew up having, you know, it was just, just it was, it's in my veins. It's, it's in, my, it's in my DNA. <laughs> uh, have you ever played or do play any instruments? I used to like to play the drums. I mean, I did have a drum set, so I guess the drums... Favorite athlete? Oh, man. Peyton or Buckus. Least favorite thing to do? Run. I can't stand running. Jogging. Hate it. Favorite artist? Musical artist? Man, you know what? Growing up in the city, I, I, you know, I go with like, like anywhere from Journey to Run DMC. I mean, I'm all over the spectrum, so I, I'm a chameleon with music. And worst song on your playlist? Worst song? Yeah. Least favorite. 
My least favorite. You have kids, so you, I'm sure you got something you they have to play once in a while. something in there every now and then. You know what? Sometimes, like, hey, like, believe me, I, I, you know what? Like, one of the Barry Manilow songs my wife put on there. I can't. I, I do. I can't. Hey, I, I, I'm going to reveal. I did see him in concert. Every song he sang was good, but there's one on there that I'm not My brother of. was a huge Barry Manilow <laughs> fan. Yeah, he loved him. Matter of fact, went to see him in concert. He even took my dad with him. I'm telling you, though. Oh, he, he put on good. a great show. He got, put on he a great got, show. But, yeah, I can see that. I'd probably get snicky onto my uh, playlist too as more songs. <laughs> uh, top item on your bucket list, non-professional. Top item on my bucket list, non-professional. Uh, tell me yours. Mine is uh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why I asked the like question. <laughs> top item. Uh, I don't know. I'm not for legalizing any drugs. There you go. So how's that? That's fine. <laughs> I don't know if that answers it. <laughs> Mine's the lose weight. <laughs> oh, are you saying something like that? It uh, doesn't matter. It's just something, you know, bucket list. Like if you wanted to go to Venice or if you wanted to go to uh, see, man, you know, you know, I don't know, the Rocky not, Mountains. To not eat as many wings. I love wings. Like seriously, I probably eat wings three days a week. So if I had to cut back, because I'm plain, I'm plain, Jane. I'm not into like Italy or not like, I'd give me a beach or something, but. I do eat a lot of wings. All right, I'm going to amend mine just real quick. It is to play in the World Series of Poker main event. Ah, there you go. That, that would be those who know me know that's true. Ah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. There you, that's a good one, Eric. Thank you for uh, coming on. This nah. has been a lot of fun. And uh, real quickly, how can uh, people find more information about you on the internet? You know what? They can go to ericandgero.com or they can go to Facebook. Uh, and just go to my Eric and Garrow Facebook, or there's one, you know, on Garrow for the 59th District. Uh, either one will have you know, just about everything about myself and everything from my, you know, activity. I do a lot of volunteer work, my activity in the inner cities. I'm still very close with the minority community. Uh, and, and most of my life has just been about giving. And it's voluntary, and you know I'm just out there, just helping. I always have been. I haven't just been doing it for the last six months because I figured I was going to run for an election. My, I got a body of work, uh, and I hope it would speak for itself. The primary is May eighth. Get out and vote on May eighth, and Eric would appreciate your support. And you can find him, of course, at ericungaro.com and on Facebook. And we will be talking. I was just to say I will be talking to you very soon with another podcast here on RadioMVP.com with one-on-one conversations. Have a great day, everyone.